0: In the basement, rolling dice, rolling dice. I'm a wizard. wizard. When we play, we do it right. Candle slicker, fighting dragons in my mind, in my mind. Just four kicks. DM says you're gonna die. Roll a, D6. Roll, a D6. Roll a D6. Roll a D6. Here we are again, everyone, in our final episode in our countdown to Covenant because next week will be our Covenant episode. Isn't that exciting? I'm excited. Are you excited, Rachel Bolin? I'm so excited. Well, that's good. And everybody gets a bonus for listening today. Not only are we going to be talking about Prometheus, but we're going to be chatting a little bit of Guardians Volume 2. Yes.
1: Also, so what that means, listeners, is that obviously there will be spoilers. So Joel Chorney, if you haven't seen the movie yet, we are going to be talking about what happens in it.
0: Yes. So, Joel, we'll let you know when we get to the Guardians portion of the conversation, but at that point, you should stop, go see the movie, and then come back to us in six months after you've actually seen the movie. Burn. Joel Burn. (laughs) Joel Burn. Oh, goodness. Um, I might have to edit some of that, but I probably won't. (laughs) (laughs) Rich Bolin, let's talk Prometheus.
1: Let's talk Prometheus. What did you think?
0: I was somewhat confused for most of it, and I gotta, I gotta give props to Amazon, because <laughs> they have their, like, if you wave your mouse over the computer screen, they do their fun facts, It's like pop-up, yeah. you know, pop-up facts, and so I was reading some of those, and it was like, first Prometheus was supposed to be a prequel, and then it was its standalone thing, but then it was supposed to be both and i'm like okay okay, we'll go we'll go from there
1: so let's do a big picture overview about what's happening in the movie and then we can like nitpick some stuff and talk about scenes so so basically you're right so it was supposed to so ridley scott always had this idea for an alien prequel so we talked about this in our first episode um The ship that the crew of the Nostromo stumble upon is the derelict spaceship. um, And the guy in the captain's seat, for lack of a better term, is known throughout the fandom as the space jockey. And so Ridley Scott always had this idea of telling the story of the space jockey. How did he end up crashed on LV-426? Why did he have all of these alien eggs? What happened to him? Where did he come from? What's his deal? So that was like the grain of the idea that like morphed into Prometheus. And so ultimately what we have is not so much an alien prequel as a story about the origin of the space jockey who we now know is known as an engineer. And what we pretty much know definitively from the movie, we can talk about what we know versus what we don't know. What we know is that the engineers seed life. On planets at least on our planet they did um, we know that they we know that this place where they land is not their home world but rather like a military outpost where they have weapons biological weapons in the form of this oil that is able to take the shape of many different things that are scary and terrible um, it's unclear to me why the oil acts the way it does in certain situations. Like why does the oil make the giant squid thing and um, poor Shaw? Like why does it, why are there like the snakes that clearly like have evolved from like the goo? Like why does the goo turn the salty geologist into like a zombie guy? Like, so that's something we don't know, but basically the engineer's, Seated us, came to visit us a lot for reasons we're not quite sure. Um, I'll stop rambling and ask you this. Did you catch the very obvious and groan-worthy religious reference? Yes. Okay. And so, listeners, if you didn't catch this, because I actually don't think I did when I first saw the movie and I read about it. So, the theory is that the engineers were coming to Earth to destroy us 2,000 years ago. But before they could get to Earth, there was like a meltdown at their facility, which is why you see all the dead bodies. And the 2000 year ago reference is supposed to be a Jesus reference. In other words, that Jesus was, in fact, an alien. <laughs> 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 I know. I can't, I can't even say with a straight face, man. All right,
0: that works. Yeah. So um, real quick. Well, I don't know what order I want to go in. But, anyways, so we've got, there are, before we get to the big bad alien at the end, there are really four, three main scary things. One is the little virus that gets stuck in the dude's eye, or whatever. Yes, yes. That infects him, that then creates a little squid thing in... Uh, knew me.
1: Well, so he's infected by, uh, David puts the goo in his drink. And it's just that the, his, whatever's messed up about his eye is just like a symptom of being infected. But yes, the, the, the goo, do you, do you remember David, like, takes his finger and plops it into his drink?
0: No, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was rude.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So... Then we've got the little snake things that I think are obviously uh, early stages of face huggers. Okay. Mostly just because it's like, it's like they are the, on the face hugger, there's like the injector that goes down people's throats. Yeah. That's what these little wormy things are. Right. Because they went down people's throats yes I I mean, you see characteristics from the xenomorphs in each in each bad thing for example, the squid how it grows exponentially
1: right, like, and the squid is just like a giant facehugger
0: ultimately um, a facehugger without the tail, yeah
1: yeah, because it at the end when it attacks the engineer.
0: Now, speaking of the engineers, are are, are we to believe that the planet that they're on is LV four twenty six? No. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. Because I thought it was supposed to be.
1: No, because I because I think the whole point is that the ship that they come across an alien is crash land has crash landed on lb four twenty six. So it's not they they didn't stumble upon the military outpost.
0: Okay, yeah, and forgive me, I watched this two days ago. At the end of the movie, they find another ship, right?
1: Yes. So what? So Shaw says to David something about how the ship is not it can't be flown. And he said, it's not the only ship. And I think that that's a reference to the fact that, I don't know if you remember, it's like we see, like, a line of these mound temple things. Do you remember, like, when we're landing? So I think, like, we are to presume that, like, there could be ships in each of these things. And, like, that each of these mounds are, like, production facilities for these weapons.
0: Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I'm picking up what you're laying down. So then... The giant face hugger hugs. We're just totally fast forwarding to the end of this. Um, we're
1: still but talk- we're still talking big pictures at this point.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I feel. Yeah, I didn't like this as much as I liked some of the other ones. It was a little more confusing for me.
1: Well, so, I mean. I really like the idea. I really like the story. And actually, when I went back and watched it now, I think I liked it more. Um, You know, my issue with it really is that I was very disappointed when I saw this in theaters because I thought we were getting an Alien prequel. And it's obviously not that. And I think, like, when I go back, after I've seen it once and I go back and rewatch it, like, with a better understanding of what the hell is going on, I think I enjoy it a little more each time. Because I th- I think like ultimately it comes down to like the e- the engineers have this goo and like this goo is a biological weapon and they can like manipulate it to make various things. I mean there are still unanswered questions, like in that room with the giant head, which like why do they have a giant whatever. Um <laughs> did you notice that one of the one of the things on the wall is like the alien, the xenomorph? Yes. Like it's a quick shot, but it's almost like Is that, like, a painting on the wall? Like, is it, like, a shrine? Like, is the goo... Did they manufacture the goo? Or is the goo something they found? Did they, like, find the xenomorphs and, like, reverse engineer? You know what I mean? We still don't exactly know those details.
0: And it did create more questions than I think it answered.
1: Yes. Because
0: in my mind, I was like, oh... The xenomorphs are just in alien species. They evolved on their own planet, whatever, and then they somebody discovered them, and obviously they were attacked and tried to get killed, and then an egg or whatever ended up on this ship with this other alien, and then they crash-landed on LV-426, and there we go. That's how we get xenomorphs. Yeah. Done and done. You know? Or, you know, predators brought them to Earth to battle. Right. <laughs> so... I mean, is it like the goo is just the base stage of xenomorph evolution?
1: I think so, yes.
0: Like, it's the stem cell of the xenomorph.
1: Right, I think that that's right.
0: Okay, and then it could maybe even below a stem cell. Like, maybe it's like a couple of chromosomes. I don't know. I'm not a biologist. And I'm definitely not an expert, an expert in xenomorph biology.
1: Right. I don't think any of us are, including Ridley Scott.
0: <laughs> oh, poor Ridley Scott. You're say so Uh, Yeah. So, I... Yeah. It was interesting to see, like, okay, this is what... Because I just kind of thought that the oil, once it reacted to air, it started to evolve in... Um... Second time, I think I get to bring this up on our Countdown to Covenant, similar to like in the movie Evolution with David Duchovny, (laughs) where the the aliens in that movie just evolve extremely quickly. I just kind of thought, okay, you've got this black goo. And then as as it's exposed to uh, oxygen and whatnot, it evolves and evolves and evolves and evolves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, that's still something that we don't entirely know. Um, Yeah.
0: And will we ever? Possibly. Possibly next week.
1: Possibly. So, one thing I will say about this movie overall that I also enjoy more as I watch it. Like, the first Alien movie is just, like, people thrown into a situation, right? And here, it's, like, the reverse of that because they're seeking it out. And I think as I... Like you kind of do have to expand your mindset. Like it's not a typical alien movie where it is like just action, just horror, whatever. Like there's a deeper meaning to all of this, and I don't necessarily like the way that they present it, but I do like the idea that like Shaw's so desperate to find out like why the engineers did what they did, and like one of my favorite t- one of my favorite moments is at the end when um. David is like he's just the decapitated head and she's like well I want to go to their planet and find out like why they did what they did and why they were going to destroy us and David's like but what does it matter like what does it matter to you like what why they did this and she's like well it just because it does it just does matter to me as a human like I want to know these answers and I think like I like that I like that theme throughout the movie of like we're like constantly asking these questions that like Maybe the answer actually is irrelevant, but, like, it's just knowledge for knowledge's sake. And, like, you don't necessarily get those bigger themes in the other Alien movies.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I kind of, like, when when that scene happened, I was very much like, it is irrelevant. Like, what, what does it matter what created humans? What does it matter what created Xenomorphs? Right. The ma- The fact of the matter is, we are here now because if i don't know i'm just like if people like what if what if she goes to the planet engine and the engineers are like oh yeah um well our kids had a science fair and you were one of the experiments right congratulations you're a prepubescent aliens middle school science fair project
1: well, and so this, like, this, this that goes back he got
0: see on. <laughs>
1: right, right. Yeah. Um, this goes back to my favorite ethical conversation, which you and I have had um, off the podcast, and which you have talked with at least one other um, guest about, which is that, you know, there's this theory promulgated by the love of my lo- life, Elon Musk, um, that what if we're living in a simulation? And the question is, like, what is it? Does it matter if we were living in a simulation? Like, does it matter if we were created by engineers for whatever purpose? Like, does it matter if none of this is real? Like, what does that change about your day-to-day reality and how you live your life?
0: Oh, that's a very good question. And I can see some people saying, well, then my life would cease to have a meaning. And I'd be like, okay, that's very fair. I'm one of those people that feels that life is about creating your own meaning. So if I found out that we were just some simulation and just a, you know, a computer program running ones and zeros, then I create, I create the meaning in my life. You know, it's, it's whatever I want it to mean is what it means.
1: I think that's totally fair. Like, so there's, there's some theories on the internet, like taking it back to this movie that like the engineers created humans to act as incubators for the aliens, the xenomorphs. And like, I, like I, I think it's an interesting conflict. Shaw's desire for knowledge. But then like, if Shaw gets there and finds out, like we were just created to breed xenomorphs, like, That's disappointing on, like, an existential scale, but ultimately, like, it it doesn't change what human civilization has accomplished.
0: Yeah. And also, I think that just says such horrible things about (laughs) all life. (laughs) Because, think about it, the engineers created humans solely to act as a way to create these weapons. Because ain't no one keeping a xenomorph as a pet.
1: Well, that's true. And then, like, so what else is out there in the universe that that you need a xenomorph to battle, you know? Predators. Yes. Engineers versus Predators. Kenny, this is the movie. This is the (laughs) movie we're going to (laughs) write. On it.
0: This is going to be so good. Maybe we should just call Ridley Scott.
1: We should. You know, he'd probably buy into it. He'd be fine. Um,
0: Do you know who I think would do Engineers versus Predators better? Michael Bay. Michael Bay. (sighs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, oh, so let, can we can we get into some details of this movie? Because I have three pages of notes. Oh
0: goodness, I have not very many pages of notes, of which I left them downstairs.
1: Okay. So number one, um, let's talk about Charlie Shaw's boyfriend, who's the biggest dick in the world. Why is <laughs> Why is he such an asshole? He's so mean to David, like. Why, is, he, is this, like, this is 2089 when this happens. Is this just, like, as we get AI, there still has to be prejudice? So instead of, like, the racist cop trope in a movie, there's, like, the prejudiced jerk trope where he's like, oh, you're AI. You're less than me. Like, you're a scientist, dude. Like, why are you being s- such a jerk to the to the android?
0: I, I think that it just goes down to fear. Like, he realizes that David could probably do his job and do his job faster and better.
1: That's true, but, like, I don't know. And even just, like, he was so obnoxious. Like, I felt really bad for Shaw, but I was like, you know what? You can do better, girl. Get that guy out of here. You know, just let him die. I don't feel bad that Charlize Theron set him on fire, although that was an extreme reaction.
0: (laughs) Uh. Can we segue into that? Because I have so many issues with that scene.
1: Uh, so, okay. Yes, because here's the thing. So this movie is, like, really great. Up until the salty geologist and the stupid biologist get trapped in the temple. And then, like, when all hell breaks loose, from that moment until, like, when everyone dies, it is this movie is a jumbled
0: mess. Yes.
1: Like, I like the last, like, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the movie, but that middle part is just thoughts, Kenny.
0: (laughs) I just, I I thought a lot of it was unnecessary. I didn't know what everything was doing. I, like, like, what was protocol? Like, when- Oh my god,
1: set him on fire. (laughs) Yeah,
0: set him on fire. And, okay- This is where I need to get this out. Why do people think that flamethrowers are a great weapon? So, first, my my dear, dear mother-in-law, love her to death. She believes that in a zombie apocalypse, their best weapon is a flamethrower. And I'm sorry, whatever you are facing, whether it be xenomorphs, whether it be infected... Shaw's boyfriend, whether it be zombies, whatever, if you set it on fire, you now have to deal with that thing, but also it's on fire. Yes, I agree. So I had huge issues with their weapon of choice being flamethrowers. Like, a gun. Guess what? If it's bulletproof, it's probably flame retardant as well.
1: Well, but wait a second. I don't remember the answer to this. Actually... I don't know why they did this, but don't you remember when they go into the temple the first time, one of the security people has a gun and Shaw's like, there are no weapons on this. It's a scientific expedition. So were we supposed to take from that that, like, the guns are all locked up somewhere? So, like, when Charlize comes down, like, the flamethrowers are all they have available?
0: Yeah, but still, why have flamethrowers?
1: I don't know.
0: Like, at all. And second, like, boyfriend guy.
1: Charlie is his name.
0: Charlie. <laughs> burning to death is the most painful way to die. And guess what? You don't die from burning to death. You die from the smoke inhalation of your flesh burning. That's what gets Ugh. you to pass out, and then you die. So guess what? If you're burning to death with an oxygen mask on... Eh... Uh. You are going to feel every bit of that, and it's going to take you forever to die. Like, stupid, didn't like it, unnecessary, shoot him in the face. It's fair. That's fair. I just, flamethrowers, stupid weapon. Do you know what would have been better? Crowbar. Crowbars are more useful. Bash a skull in, and they open boxes.
1: But like also why did you jump straight to flamethrower? Like he's sick. <laughs> I don't...
0: Right? It's like you're you're on this new planet and everybody is terrified. You'd think that if they hired professionals to go on this exploration, they would hire people with a little bit more, you know, fortitude.
1: Right. So I guess related to sort of like, so going back to, so Charlize Theron's character is the one that does it. And like her motivations are kind of like murky this whole time, because like we find out she's Waylon's daughter, which is like a weird reveal that like doesn't further the story at all. Um, So why, so Waylon's there, he says to meet his maker, but like, are we to assume that really he came out there because like, he's trying to find basically like, you know, the fountain of youth type thing. Like he's hoping that they have a way for him to like live forever.
0: I don't know. I, maybe he just wants to like, he's obsessed with life's meaning as well. And he just wants to know why he was created. So then he can die in peace.
1: Right. I mean, so I read again, this is not my theory. It was from the internet. Um, because David is of course like working on behalf of Wayland and like, so Wayland's motivations are David's. And so, you know, one thing that I had a problem with the first time I watched it is why does David poison Charlie? And one theory is that they thought maybe the goo has like regenerative properties. Maybe it's not bad, right? Maybe the goo isn't a weapon. Maybe the goo is something that helps you. And so he did this to Charlie because like, Charlie's a dick to him, and so it's like, well, if it is bad, whatever, it's just Charlie, but, like, we'll test it out on him and see what it does.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, you know, it's a decent theory, but I don't, like, why not run tests on it first? Put it under a microscope.
1: I I don't know. I Yes, that would be the most logical thing to do, but like,
0: I... There was no protocol followed in this movie whatsoever.
1: No, none. <laughs>
0: it's, it's like... The scientific uh, equation, scientific theory, just went, scientific method, I'm sorry, I don't know how to talk this morning, uh, just goes out the window.
1: Yep. Let's talk about how dumb all the scientists are. How dumb is the (laughs) biologist who's like, I'm going to touch this unknown organism that's clearly alien on an alien planet. I'm going to pet it. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do.
0: No, it makes sense. And it's just like... Like, these people have to understand even if Earth did not progress since 2012, with the exception of androids and spaceships. Right. You still know that threats exist in the world. Yep. You don't pet a shark. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> you know it's so it's it's it foolish they're just all foolish
1: they are that's very true
0: um and i didn't think some of the foolishness progressed the plot
1: no it doesn't it doesn't that's that's the other issue with it you're right um you know what else is in further of the plot why is guy pierce in old person makeup peter wayland because they never show young Peter Wayland, so why did you hire Guy Pierce? Why didn't you hire an old dude? That, that makes no sense.
0: I mean, were there flashbacks that were cut out?
1: I don't think so.
0: Um, did they think that he looked like Lance Henriksen from Aliens versus Predators? I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Why not
1: hire Lance Hendrickson? Because Lance Hendrickson is even older now.
0: (laughs) You would need less makeup. Maybe he auditioned for it and he was the right person for the role.
1: Come on, Kenny. No. I'm just saying.
0: No, I don't like it. No,
1: I don't like it. I don't like it. Idris Elba's in this movie, which is great.
0: And he is just brilliant, and he, his sacrifice just makes me happy.
1: Right. Oh, I wrote down, I don't really believe this, but I wrote down, is this movie just a cautionary tale against religion? Because, (laughs) because the whole, if you really boil it down, the whole point of the movie is that these scientists go in search of their maker, and it turns out the makers hate them and want to destroy them, and all hell breaks loose. So it's almost like we talked about, like, the conflict of, like, wanting to know the motivations of the engineers and all that. But is the takeaway from the movie, like, just don't ask questions?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's quite possible. It's like, or if you ask questions, prepare to die.
1: Right. So, like, I also wrote down, you just said something about, like, civilization advancing. Like, I would be very curious to know what the state of scientific exploration is at the time. Because, like, they're on this giant spaceship. They've been in, like, cryo sleep. They arrive at this planet and, like, there's not – I mean, to me, there was not enough, like, wonder exhibited by the crew members that, like, oh, my God, we found a planet where there's, like, clearly been intelligent life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if I was – I I mean, being on a spaceship is, like, one thing anyway. But, like, you make it to a planet and you're like, oh, shit. Like, there's other life in the universe. Like, that would be, like – I mean – life-changing, right? And everyone's just kind of like, all right, you want to land the ship? That's cool. Like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and where it was like, na- like someone said, nature doesn't work in straight lines or something. Yeah, yeah. So... I thought that was definitely interesting that they were just like... Because I thought that was weird. I was like, have they been to other planets? Are there is? Do they know there's other life? Because no one seems ultimately shocked here.
1: No. Um... So another, so do we think, you know, obviously the ship is called Prometheus and Ridley Scott is so, uh, he's, he's a nice man. He, um, (laughs) you know, clearly he named this movie very deliberately. And like the story of Prometheus is like the gods gave fire to humans, you know, and all that thing. So like, are we to take away that the goo is the fire, is fire in this case?
0: Ooh, that's interesting. Hmm. Or so, no, no, I'm sorry.
1: Actually, I'm sorry. It's not... No, Prometheus stole fire from the gods, right? They yes. didn't give it to him. Yes. So, uh, like, is that the metaphor that we're taking here? Like, humans stumble upon this and, like, we're taking the goo or the xenomorphs or whatever.
0: Well, we... So Prometheus stole... Correct me if I'm wrong on this. He stole the fire and then the gods punished him by tying him to a rock. And the bird... Comes yeah, the- and then pecks out his liver every day.
1: That sounds right.
0: Okay. Uh internet, correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm trying to, I'm
1: trying to look it up, but yes, I think that that's that I know that they they punish him there's something with a bird, yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the ship is Prometheus, all the humans are Prometheus. So it's kind of like okay, we're going to steal this fire and the gods are Punishing us by killing us all.
1: Yes, well. Or
0: impregnating us with xenomorphs.
1: Impreg- like, the xenomorphs are the birds. Like, the tools of the gods.
0: Yes. Well, then what's the fire? Also the xenomorphs?
1: Well, but I think there's a difference between... The fire could be, like, the, the weapon itself. Like, the knowledge. Maybe the goo is not the knowledge.
0: Okay. I got you. Yeah. All right. Okay. So fast forward to the end. Does does Shaw survive? Yes. She she got off the ship.
1: Yeah. She and David get on the ship and they're going to the engineer homeworld. So now that you've seen this movie, you need to go back and read uh, the May movie preview on the Dumbbells and Dragons website, uh, which had a link to two prequels for Alien Covenant, one of which is called The Crossing. And it's, like, four or five minutes, and it's supposed to be, like, bridging the gap between Prometheus and Covenant in terms of what Shaw and David are doing.
0: Okay, and these are made by the studio, I'm assuming.
1: Yes, uh uh-huh, yep.
0: Okay. And Covenant is ten years after Prometheus.
1: Yes, so I have really great news. So it premiered in London, and the reviews are good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so 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 far fan reviews. I don't think there have been a lot of official reviews, but I read a couple of things and like people on Twitter are like, it's way better than Prometheus. It's scarier. It's like a return to like what the Alien franchise should be. Um, so that's all very promising.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so here's. Prometheus was ha- 30 years before Alien. Yes. That seems like an awful lot of evolution for 30 years. What do you mean? Like, from liquid to xenomorph that we see on LV-426.
1: But no, no, okay, you're wrong, because the xenomorphs already exist, remember? We already talked about this, there's like the painting or whatever, yeah. We just don't see that ideation or that Mm. that variation of the the goo. I'm
0: with you, you are right. I know. So, would you... Okay, so, we've watched all seven movies? Yeah. How do you rank them?
1: Ooh. Um, I would say Alien, Aliens, Prometheus, Resurrection, maybe AVP, Alien 3, and then Requiem at the end. And just because, like I've said a million times, I think Alien 3 is a well-done movie, but it's just too depressing for me.
0: Okay. I I was actually talking to some uh, a, a later podcast coming out later this month is with uh, a fellow podcaster by the name of Nick G. He's like, I loved Alien 3. Alien 3 is great. And I was like, you're not going to get along with Rachel. Um, <laughs> um, I'm ranking it Aliens. Alien, Alien vs. Predator, Prometheus, Resurrection, 3, Requiem.
1: We can all agree that Requiem is the worst.
0: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Now, here's a good question. Yes. If someone else had never seen the movies before... Mm hmm would you ever recommend, and how do you think they would take watching them in chronological order? You mean so that, the order
1: in which they were released or the order in which they're supposed to happen?
0: Uh, the uh, chronological in the movie. So it would be AVP, AVP Requiem, Prometheus, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection.
1: So I think if you watch AVP and Requiem first, you could get, like, turned off to the franchise because you're like, this is dumb. Um My issue with watching Prometheus before Alien is just that, like, it's a very different tone of movie. And I will say that my answer might change depending on how Ridley Scott does this next series of films. Like, if he sets up, like, he wants to do two more movies after Covenant. If he sets up, like, a legit prequel trilogy that, like, leads into Alien, then, you know, maybe I will say watch them chronologically. Or we may be in a position in a couple years where it's like Star Wars and it's like you got to watch it in, like, machete order, you know?
0: That's I don't true. know. Is there an order that you would... Well, no, because cause Machete Order makes sense, so I don't know what order you would recommend people watching these without... I don't think you can exclude any of these movies except... Like, you could tell someone not to watch Resurrection. Like, three did essentially end the series, and then... AVP or AVP Requiem don't really need to be watched ever.
1: Right. No. All
0: right. I'm with you. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, are you ready to, any closing thoughts on Countdown to Covenant? What are you expecting for Covenant? What are you excited for?
1: Um, I'm, I'm really hopeful that it's scary and gruesome and, Yeah, that's pretty much it. All
0: right. Um, Since we're not seeing it Thursday night. I'm seeing
1: it Thursday night. Are you? Yeah. Well,
0: shit, son. My bad. Um, I might need to see it Thursday night. But then I think we need to record before Sunday so we can get this out to all of our super excited listeners as soon as possible.
1: I agree with you. I agree with you
0: big win we'll talk about that after the podcast but now let's take what i'm dubbing the chorney break uh a chance for everyone to hit pause go see guardians of the galaxy volume two and then come back if you haven't hit paused yet we're assuming you want to be spoiled (laughs) all right rachel guardians volume two what are your thoughts
1: I love this movie. I loved everything about this movie. I thought it was so entertaining. I thought it was so much fun. I thought it was so funny. Um, I got really emotional at the end of it. Like, I just had a really great time. I thought it was wonderful.
0: When is the last time you saw Guardians Volume 1?
1: It's been a while.
0: Okay. So, I caught the El Capitan double feature. So... I showed up to the theater at four o'clock, watched Guardians Volume 1, and then immediately like, it was like a half hour intermission, and then boom, Guardians Volume 2. So, I liked Volume 2. I did not love it. Why did you not love it? First, I thought... Some of the characters were inconsistent. Well, let's talk about what I liked. I really liked that it became more of a... Like, we learned more about each individual character and their families and where they came from. And there was less of a focus on Star-Lord. Like, Chris Pratt wasn't as prominent in this as he was in Guardians Volume 1, obviously which I think is interesting for a lead but I really liked it cuz it got me a, it got it gave us a chance to learn more about this universe.
1: I totally agree. And like the whole actually like this was a very huge character development movie. Like I I mean I, I give it so much credit like Rocket has so much character development like the raccoon. Yes. You know, I mean I really enjoyed that about it. And I really enjoyed, like... I mean, I think, I think we also saw a lot of development with Peter because, like, of his whole family arc and, like, coming to terms with that. And But I thought that was great. I loved it.
0: I... See, I felt that... I loved the movie until they got to Ego. When And I'm not talking about meeting Kurt Russell. I'm talking about the planet. When they arrived on the planet, okay. I just... For some reason, I'm like... Why are we still on this planet? Why are we here for so long? Like now, it's starting to drag. And obviously, the theme of this entire movie was family, Um, and like kind of with a theme that family is more of a choice. Is is kind of something that was there, and it's uh, family is. Who you love, not necessarily who, whose DNA you share. Right. Which, which I enjoyed. And learning about Drax and his wife and his daughter. And then seeing him evolve from this guy who is obsessed with revenge. Yeah. However, at the end of Guardians Volume 1, he was obsessed with Thanos. Right. And this is the last time we're going to see the Guardians before they bridge into Infinity War. Right. I don't know if this was a good time for a standalone movie because I needed something to kind of feed into Infinity War.
1: So I will say that that, I don't necessarily view it as a detriment, but I did notice that, like, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie, I'm like, I don't know how this is connecting to the larger universe. Because, like, Thanos isn't even in it. And, like, not even in an extra scene. And, like, there are no Infinity Stones or anything. Um, So it was just kind of... I mean, you're right. It was a standalone movie.
0: And, and I don't know if the timing of that is good. D- don't get me wrong. It kind of set up for Guardians 3. Yeah. But... I, eh, you know. So, one, putting Kurt Russell in young makeup was beautiful. Oh, I agree with that. That man is wicked gorgeous. I really enjoyed seeing more about Nebula and Gamora Mm -hmm. and figuring out why Nebula is a robot, essentially. And it's really sad and tragic how she got the way she is.
1: I could have done without Nebula
0: in this movie, to be honest with you. Um, she was unnecessary.
1: She was unnecessary. But I will say that this movie had my all-time favorite movie trope, which is when good guys become bad guys, or good bad guys become good guys, um, which we see in, like, every Fast and the Furious movie, where it's <laughs> like, One movie, they're fighting The Rock, and, like, the next movie, The Rock's, like, and now I'm in your team, you know? And, like, I won't spoil the latest one for you, but, like, something similar happens. (laughs) And and that's my favorite. So, like, whenever, like, you see, like, Nebula's gonna do the right thing, or, like, Yondu comes in to save the day, I'm like, yes! I love this. Bad guys (laughs) becoming good guys.
0: I I agree. I enjoyed Yondu's redemption story. I enjoyed hearing... Why he was an outcast from the main set of Ravagers, thank yeah. you, Ty Stallone.
1: Yeah, I like that as well. Um, I just thought it was interesting. Like, I liked at the end when I real I really liked his redemption story, and I really liked at the end when you know Peter says something about like, "It's a good thing I was small, or you wouldn't have saved me." And he's just like, "Do you still think that that's why I did it?" Like, and I thought that that was. Like, that worked out well with this, this movie, too. Like, seeing, like, okay, he knew what Ego did to these kids. And, like, he made the choice to save Peter. Yeah. And, you know, like, but it's, like, something that puts, like, their entire relationship in such a different context.
0: Yeah. And and everyone, like, there was always... It's it's why the Ravagers mutinied. It's because they're like, why is he so special? Why are you always right. giving him preferential treatment? And then you get it. Right. I, first of all, I need to give props to my girl Miley Cyrus. She was amazing in this movie. What? She was mainframe.
1: Oh, I didn't know
0: that. Do you know who mainframe is? No. Well, I will tell you. Mainframe is one of the um uh what's the word? Uh you know Stallone's when in the in the cutscene, Stallone in the end credit scene, Stallone uh meets with like some of the original um guardians. Yes. You know, and he's like, Oh, we need to blah blah blah. She yes. was one of them.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. So, congratulations. Miley Cyrus is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before Nathan Fillion.
1: Uh, Oh, my God. You know who else played a ravager in this movie? Who? Rob Zombie. Okay.
0: I didn't know that. That's awesome.
1: I didn't either. That's fantastic. (laughs) What have you been doing lately, Rob Zombie? Why don't you do another horror movie?
0: He just directed one. What are you talking about? Did he? Also, are
1: you sure because Miley... Oh, wait. Hold on. Come on. Having
0: silence on a podcast isn't good, Rachel Boland.
1: Well, fine. What's your favorite scene in this movie, Kenny?
0: Ooh, favorite scene in this movie. I want to say the... When Rockets, like, defeating all the bad guys on on the planet that they left him on when he's, like, set up all his booby traps.
1: Yeah. Um, I really liked... Uh, well, I like the end scene that's set to The Chain by Fleetwood Mac because that's one of my favorite songs.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, can I tell you some of my favorite lines in this movie? Can I tell you the funniest line in this movie that you probably didn't even catch? Yes. Okay, so it's when... They've overthrown Yandu and they're, like, messing with baby Groot. And one of the Ravagers says to Taserface, um, can we just go ahead and kill him now? And what everybody laughed at was he says he's too adorable to kill. But before that, he looks at the Ravager and he goes, no, Jeff. And I just <laughs> thought it was so funny that the guy's name was Jeff.
0: <laughs> That's really funny. Um, okay, so my my issues with this movie were too many penis and poop jokes Drax is a literal per- like he's he takes things literally he's not an idiot
1: yes yes they they I didn't love all of Drax's jokes this time around although I still love Drax very much
0: no, love Drax, but it's like he he turned from this serious warrior to just kind of like a chucklehead. Yeah. And and totally cool with the scene with Mantis when she outs uh Peter, but the the poop jokes, the penis jokes, I'm like, okay, this is I'm over it. And then I'm sorry, too much Baby Groot.
1: Oh, see, I actually disagree. I thought that they utilized Baby Groot the right amount, and I was really worried about that. Like, I was, like, the first time I saw that trailer, I was like, this is not going to go well. But I thought, like, I didn't think that they, or actually, I really love the scene where uh, Yandu and Rocket are trying to get him to get the thing for Yandu's head. And he keeps bringing them back random shit, and he brings them back the toe. The rock <laughs> like, "Please tell me you just have a freezer of toes somewhere."
0: <laughs> no, and yeah, I thought that was great. But and like, I don't know. I just felt that it was the the opening scene was brilliant with him just dancing the entire time. The the scene with him bringing back random stuff I thought went on a little too long. Like, this movie was already two hours and 17 minutes. Right. So then, like, then you have him going in the crack, and you're flashing back to him, and then all this other stuff. I'm just kind of like, all right, enough. Enough with the baby Groot. Like, I get it. He's cute. He's adorable. But, eh. And I really think that this movie is going to suffer from what I call the Phantom Menace effect. Which, if you remember, when the Phantom Menace came out, everybody leaving the theater opening weekend and the following weekend raved about it and they said it was great. It was totally the greatest Star Wars, blah, 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 blah. And then after subsequent viewings, you start to realize how bad it is. So, I'm not saying this movie is bad. I'm just thinking this movie is going to lose... Some of its initial luster. And yeah, like Guardians 1, I I think I told you this via text message, I can put it on and as soon as it's over, put it on again. Like that's how good I think that movie is. This movie, I don't think so much.
1: Um, Okay, well, I, I want to address your Phantom Menace Effect argument. Um, because I think I disagree with you strongly on that, and I think you have the uh, the phantom Mass effect. I understand that, and right, like I mean, it's funny to go back and look up on YouTube people like leaving the theater and being like that movie was awesome because it's terrible. But I think that that's a very isolated case because number one, that was like what 1997 or something. Um, yes. not not to say that we weren't thinking critically about movies back then, but I the internet was not the mess that it is today, where everyone has a voice and an opinion. And I think if we had Twitter and Reddit back in 97, I think you would have seen that there was a lot of people who initially recognized the movie as being the crap that it was. But I think the Phantom Menace effect is also exacerbated by the fact that everyone was so excited for a Star Wars movie that like, you could have put crap on the screen, and they basically did, (laughs) And people would have just been obsessed. No, I'm serious, though. Like, and I think I actually worried with this with Jurassic World. And I've seen that movie a couple times. And so I don't think that that's the case. But, like, when I first watched Jurassic World, I was just so enthralled by the fact that the universe was back that, like, I didn't even care about the story. But even that movie, like, people have, because of, like, how we are today on the Internet looking at film critically, for better or worse people were already able to like identify the weaknesses in Jurassic world. Like as soon as it came out, like for someone like me, I was like, I don't care. I just enjoy it. But I think that Phantom Menace was a different era. And I, I think like, I just don't think it's the same situation. I actually think part of the reason why you are disappointed with volume two of guardians is because the first guardians is so good. And not only is it so good, you didn't expect it to be good. Like when the, when this movie started being previewed, even I, as a huge Marvel fan, was like, "I don't know about this movie. I don't know about a talking plant. I don't know about like any of these characters. Like, okay, Chris Pratt's in it, I guess. Like, it looks like it's cheesy, but then you go see it, and it ends up being this awesome movie. And I, so I just think there's so much there was so much buildup for Volume Two. A lot of the reviews that I read for Volume Two were kind of like, "Listen, it's not as good as the first one, but it's almost like not the second one's fault because the first one exceeded so many expectations."
0: Yeah. Oh well, and here's here's what I'm basing my theory on. A lot of the jokes I laughed at only because I was in a room filled with other people laughing. Laughter is contagious and I can honestly no if I'm watching this movie alone in my house I'm not going to laugh when Drax is asking Kurt Russell about his penis, and I'm not going to laugh when Drax says that his his poops are enormous or whatever in on the ship. I just I just and I think after repeated viewings I'm going to be like, "Okay, Baby Groot, I'm kind of over you." It's uh
1: I mean, I I get where you're coming from, but I it actually it sounds like your biggest issue with the humor in this movie is not the humor itself, but, like, what they're doing with Drax and his humor. I think so. Which, okay, Kenny, let's take this back to something that you and I talked about before we started the podcast. Just because there's a single part of the movie that you don't like doesn't mean that it's overall a bad movie or an overall
0: bad movie experience. Well, that's why I said I liked it. I don't love it.
1: That's fair. That's
0: fair. I mean, okay, so I'm I'm – I'm giving Guardians 1 like a 5 out of 5. You know what? Screw that. I'm giving Guardians 1 a 10 out of 10. Okay. I'm I'm giving Guardians 2 7 out of 10.
1: Okay. So I would give Guardians so I I don't know what movie I would give 10 out of 10 to. That's a tall order, sir. Um so I would give Guardians like a 9.25. And I would give Guardians 2 like an 8.25.
0: Okay. You just turned my 10 point scale into, I believe, a 40 point scale.
1: I'm trying to use what you (laughs) used and just. I'm not going to do like 9 out of 10. No. It's 9.25.
0: 9.25. A 38 out of 40 is what you're giving it.
1: Because listen, like. The Force Awakens is, like, a 9.5. And, like, Guardians is almost as good as The Force Awakens, but not quite. Or, like...
0: Oh. Yeah. See... Okay. To, well, yeah, we don't need to clarify. I was just gonna say, to okay. clarify, I'm talking about how much I enjoyed the movie, not necessarily how objectively good the movie is. Like, the I other movie... I agree. Yeah.
1: yeah that's like, how I rate things, too.
0: Okay. Because, I mean, obviously the Godfather Part 2 is cinematic perfection, but I'm not going to put that and watch that on repeat every day, whereas Guardians 1, I absolutely could probably watch every day. Yeah, that's if fair. If I had the time. Um. Okay, so what do you think about the post-credit scenes?
1: Uh, actually, you know what? I think that my least favorite part of the movie uh, were the post-credit scenes, because I just wasn't excited by any of them. I didn't think any of them did anything.
0: Mostly pointless.
1: Yeah, mostly pointless. Didn't like that at all. Um, especially because... So my friend Andrew texted me before I went to the movie and was like, just so you know, there are five post-credit scenes. I was like, God, okay. And I thought like one of them would link this to the next movie.
0: <laughs> right? But,
1: but nope.
0: Nope. So I, I will say that... Let's see. Of the five, the first one was the the Uh, guy. Oh, go ahead.
1: No, actually, before we get to that, this ties into it. The first scene is the the guy, the pilot guy, with you know Xandu's
0: playing with the arrow.
1: I love that guy. I'm so glad he's on our team now. I thought he was hilarious. I was all on board for that guy. I'm Uh, I'm I'm glad he's here now.
0: I I really loved him. He's actually Sean. uh, He's actually a Oh, James Gunn's brother.
1: Oh, awesome. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's that's one time nepotism in Hollywood has actually you know worked. Yeah. (laughs) But he he got me so emotional when he's like, I was upset. I didn't mean to mutiny, and they killed my friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Like, oh, oh, heartstrings, heartstrings. But so okay, so him playing with the arrow, I thought that was funny. Like, obviously, he's going to hopefully have better control over that in the next movie. Yeah. The second scene is Teenage Groot, which tells me in Guardians 3, we're going to have a Teenage Groot. Welcome back, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel was the voice of Baby Groot, too.
1: So, my friend and I were talking about that. So what, he just says the lines and then they computerize them? Like, what's the point?
0: I mean maybe he did that for, maybe he has the ability to talk like that I don't no, know No he
1: doesn't come on
0: Dude that was he's, that was
1: a, that was very clearly computerized
0: He's the Iron Giant he can do anything uh, Moving on <laughs> The third scene was the preview of Adam Warlock Uh what? he's The Sovereign.
1: Oh, oh, their their thing?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So that's... He's a big bad in the comic books, and so he's obviously gonna be the big bad in the next movie.
1: Yeah.
0: Which, at first, I thought this opening scene was just kind of pointless with The Sovereign, and I'm like, oh, this actually makes sense, and they're actually feeding it into the next movie. I actually kind of enjoy that. Uh, The fourth scene. I can't remember what the fourth scene was.
1: Was that the one with... Uh, the Ravagers or no?
0: Oh, you know what? No, the Ravagers were earlier, but yeah, but they're, let's just call it the fourth one. With Stallone and the original Guardians team, nice to see them all kind of pointless unless they do a, you know, throwback Guardians movie or like the new Guardians or something well, along those lines. But maybe the new like, old Guardians.
1: Maybe they'll play a role in the new movie. Like maybe the old ones will have to like team up with the new ones or something.
0: Possibly, but I just thought it was an homage to comic fans. And then I appreciate the, the Stan Lee cameo. Oh, that's
1: the other one, yeah.
0: Yeah, which um, I actually read a review of one person's opinion of it. If If you haven't seen the movie, if you have, he's talking to the Watchers. And the Watchers in the comics essentially watch over all of life. Uh-huh. And they're not allowed to intervene, but there's one that watches over Earth that occasionally will intervene. So the theory is that Stan Lee is the same character in every every Marvel cameo that he's done. Mm -hmm. He's the same person. And that he's a watcher kind of just watching over this world. And when... Like, he's, he's, Stanley, he's 94 years old. Right. Um, He, he's already retired from some cons. Like, he doesn't go to New York Comic Con anymore. Um, I'm fairly certain that this year is going to be his last San Diego Comic Con.
1: Um, you know where he's coming this year is Awesome Con in D.C.
0: Well, then you should make a point to see whatever he's at, because he is absolutely well worth it.
1: Well obviously I have a 3 day pass
0: so make it happen. Make it happen. Uh, but it's it's really poignant because when he's talking to the watchers he's like where are you going? I still have stories. Yeah. You know, and and I felt that that was just him kind of I don't want to say giving his goodbye, but he's like he's saying I still have a lot of stuff left to say but he knows he doesn't have time to say it right which probably gave like teared me up more than anything else in the movie
1: that's fair i think um i mean i i i like that theory that he's like a watcher um and i think it like makes sense you know like throughout the the series like them always throwing him in like at first it was just like a cute little cameo but then like as it kept happening um I like that I like the idea of like connecting him Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, Stanley.
1: Oh, Stanley. Do you want to touch on some other pop culture stuff going on?
0: If you want, I'm always available.
1: Okay. So let's do it. So let's talk about guess what? Dragons. Last week I complained that there was no Dark Tower trailer, and the <laughs> Hollywood gods heard me, and they released an awesome trailer for the Dark Tower. It looks so good, and so I really, I really hope everyone. Uh, first of all, just go out and read the first book because you can like knock that out before August when the movie comes out. Uh, but also, you know, go see the movie because I've read that. The movie – so if you don't know The Dark Tower, is a seven-book series. It's an, a sprawling epic by Stephen King. It's a fantasy series. Um, they wrote the movie so that it's sort of a self-contained story because the – I mean, in the first book sort of could be. Um, but if it has a following and if it makes money, they would like to make more and like follow through on the series, which would be awesome. So let's – Keep our fingers crossed for that. Um,
0: Fingers crossed and wallets open.
1: Exactly. Take my money. Um, (laughs) uh, Kenny, did you watch American Gods last week? No. Oh, okay. Well, that's not helpful.
0: Well, (laughs) Veronica and I were supposed to watch it together, but we rarely have time to just sit down and watch an hour-long TV show. We'll probably catch up tonight. Well, Yay.
1: I will say, like, I... I loved it and it's like very visually stunning. Like I don't know if you ever watched Hannibal, but like it's the it's the same executive producer, so it's the same visual tone and it's awesome.
0: Excellent. I will I will keep that in mind. I have not watched Hannibal. It is on my uh, Amazon Queue.
1: Oh my god, I can't give enough I can't I can't say enough good things about Hannibal. It's like it's actually I think it's one of the best shows to air on television in the last decade.
0: Well, I I do like the lead actor
1: yeah it's 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 i can't even i can't even get started
0: you just can't even i just
1: can't even um yeah i'm trying to
0: think of what what pop culture stuff i have going on i don't think i have anything
1: i think uh oh uh well by the time you listen to this dragons um the blade runner trailer will have been released um i'm not excited for that movie at all but whatever is it a
0: reboot or a sequel?
1: It's a sequel continuation. It's like, what is it called? Like Blade Runner 2049 or something. And it's like, I just, I don't, I don't like it. Some movies should just be left alone.
0: (laughs) No, sir. I don't like it.
1: I do not want that. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you, but unfortunately there are no new ideas in Hollywood. I know. So, so I know. we're in trouble. We're in yep. trouble there. We sure are. I mean, this is also we're. I we're getting four Avatar sequels. God,
1: James Cameron, why are you? Why are you the way that you are,
0: dude? He gets obsessed with some shit and doesn't let it go. Yeah, like, yeah. Like after he did Titanic, then he did a documentary on Titanic, yep. then he did other stuff with the Titanic, and then he wrote Avatar, and now he's like, "I'm gonna do Avatar like two through seventeen, and then I'm gonna make Avatar World, Narnia or whatever, and then the next your franchises, <sighs> whatever, both suck.
1: It's fair, anyways,
0: you, if, if you're gonna watch Avatar, just go watch Ferngully. It's much better.
1: I agree." Original's
0: always better. The original's always better. Uh okay. I think I think I'm tapped, Rachel Bolin. I'm All out.
1: Alright. Alright. All
0: right. Everyone, hope you're excited for Covenant. We'll talk to you on the next one. Work out, nerd out.